week in sparkling water. My name is Iwa Kimeakson, and I'm your host. And this is... What state of mind am I starting this off in here? What is this? This is mostly fear. It's like fear and a deep sense of inferiority and meaninglessness and panic. I don't know. There's a lot of panic. Um, yeah, I don't believe in this at all. But I, <laughs> I don't believe in this at all. But I have this strong sense of duty, of discipline. This idea that I need to go through the motions even when I don't believe in it. And that's why I'm still here. Oh, God. I'm also really like... We're down to the wire here. It's like usually I record an episode of the podcast midweek. And then at some point on Thursday, I, I start this upload to this website that normalizes the, e evens out the volume of the whole thing. And then I download it from that thing. And then I upload it to the space where it's hosted, this FTP server. And the uploading and downloading takes like a bit of time. Not effort, because I just click a button and it starts, but it needs time. So usually I like to do that at some point Thursday, Friday, but now it's Friday. This is going to be really tight. Like for me to get this episode out tomorrow, this is going to be really tight, but that's fine. The other thing is like, usually I, like I went, <laughs> I slept in a tent this week for the first time in like 20 years. And I feel like a lot of things happened around that. And usually when I have an experience like that, and I'm going to talk about it on the podcast, I like think about it in my head. This is like behind the scenes almost. What I'm describing now is an embarrassing reality of it, which is like usually when there's a funny thing that happened that I'm planning on talking about on the podcast, I'll just pretend tell the story in my head a little bit <laughs> and I'll practice tell it and I'll think about a funny way to, t <laughs> to tell this story. This is so embarrassing to admit, but I'll like... I'll tell the story maybe out loud to myself in the car. Not actually out loud, but just like I'll tell it in my head and then a couple of punchlines will be said out loud. Which is just, it's just a funny, it's just a funny thing how people are like that. But it's very universal. It, one of them, God, what was, the, there was this weird um, Swedish television show like 15 years ago about, a lady, it was a little bit like the show Fleabag or something like that, or Girls. It was just like an oversharing woman show where it's like this kind of eccentric woman is the main character. And then the whole intro is always her walking down the street briskly. And there's a um, um, voiceover of what she's thinking. And she's thinking about all these crazy, interesting things or whatever. And then she always like walks past some guy selling fruit on the corner. And then she'll just say one of the things from the monologue out loud. Like she'll just voice the punchline of her big story that she's been thinking. And the punchline disembodied from the rest of the story makes absolutely no sense. And then the person in selling fruit on the corner looks at her just saying a random sentence. And the person is like, okay, this... This lady is not that cool. And then um, she keeps walking it, and it's just like a funny, 
every episode started like that and it's just it's just a funny low grade little thing like that you know anyway god such a terrible start to the episode so far but um yeah i went camping and i i i slept in a tent and i i haven't thought about it so i'm going to i'm going to tell the story raw of what happened i think i don't know it's just sort of um me trying something new but um the other feeling i'm having right now is that last episode i reviewed i've had these two bottles of sparkling water flavored with cream an orange cream which to me is such a fucking random super niche super specific weird flavor that i've never heard of orange cream so i was fascinated that i would that i found two of them and then i'm always looking for a third so i can turn it into an episode and last week i just gave up and i reviewed those two and a third one that was unrelated. And then this morning, I found a third orange cream, which is so painful for me. Because if I had just waited one more week, I could have had the perfect trifecta. Because whenever I have an episode with three sparkling waters that say the exact same thing on the front, that feels so good. That is like, I, that is like, I love it when a plan comes together. You know, that feeling. Oh, and then when I have used it up, because now I've already reviewed those two. So now it's like, now it's fucked, you know? But because what I did is it's not even really a sparkling water. I was like so tired and I didn't even have three waters and I needed to review a water. So I roll out of bed and I drive to the gas station and I was like, fuck it. We're going to get something sparkling. It's not even going to be sparkling water. We're just going to get an energy drink with one of these hilarious flavored energy drinks and we're going to review that together with the ones and i found an orange soda but i've already done my two orange sodas so instead i got a cherry this episode we're doing something very specific though black cherry which is i don't know i assume that's a subcategory of cherry so we're doing it (laughs) this is a bang potent brain and body fuel black cherry vanilla super creatine yeah, these bangs are hilarious, huh? I assume that this is going to be disgusting and I'm only going to have a sip, but I need the caffeine. Okay, insane vanilla f- smell. Oh, wow. So I don't like cherry, and I think vanilla can be like super overbearing and gaggy and stuff. So I assumed that this was going to be double, double disgusting, but somehow vanilla makes black cherry better. Oh man, that's like a 7.5, 8 out of 10 kind of territory. That's good. That's good. Oh God, I had such a stressful week. I don't know not even really allowed to talk about it but it's like just like a stressful week at work where it turns out that I have quite a bit of power and power is stressful like because when power means that you have the power to punish people and really fuck up their lives it's like fuck that really stresses me out Because I don't believe in myself and I don't believe that my 
judgment. I don't know. I think the problem here that I will come back to on every topic that I'm going to talk about this episode is perfectionism. Like I expect this weird perfectionism out of myself. So I talked about it last week, this book, 4,000 Weeks. This book is really like, I cannot recommend this enough for my specific type of like unfortunate mental setup. This book speaks to every single one of my problems, everything to do with social media, everything with anxiety in the moment, everything about perfectionism and running away from myself. And it even had this like big AA part where it like talks about the, just the similarity of AA and alcoholism and, and like how our society wants us to do everything as fast as possible and the impatience of modern life and how that's fucking us up. Um, yeah, I never feel this, but with this book, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm, I have this feeling like as soon as I finish it, I'm just going to start over from page one and I just want to read it again because I want the lessons of this book to sink in to my mind as deep as possible. And um, I just find myself reading it a little bit each night, but only a little bit. And then it sparks so many thoughts for me of how I need to apply this to my own life that I just have to stop reading and I just have to lay there and think about how everything that this book is explaining, all the problems, I am doing that. But so I was reading a part of, the, of it yesterday and it's like about how, it's about how this guy is studying who in academia puts out the best work and the most work and he noticed this pattern of, it's actually the people that try to work the least, like the people who try to just do 20 minutes of writing every day. And then you compare that to the people who want to do, you know, usually around 20 minutes, never more than four hours per day. And then there are these people with this deadline focus that just want to keep going forever. And, and, um, and what really struck me is this idea that he proposed that like, when you get into it, writing, for example, or whatever good work that it is that you're trying to do, when you get into it, decide how much you're going to do every day, say like 50 minutes. And then once you hit 50 minutes, stop. Even if you're in a good flow state, even if you're on this roll where you feel like you really want to and you could keep going, the act of keeping going, keeping on there after the 50-minute mark is more of the same impatience where we're impatient and we want to rush towards a goal and we want, and there's like this fearful perfectionism where we want this like perfect, we believe that we're in this like, we're going towards this perfect state of mind towards being mega productive. And there's this weird fear that this will be the last flow state. That's how I feel. Like when I get into a focused state of being productive, I I get terrified of stopping because I'm, I have this, I'm realizing that I have this big fear of that if I might never get here again. I might never get to this good state of, like, this is so rare that I must not leave it. But a much better state of mind or belief or view on it is to, to think about it as like, this is just more of life, you know? And 
instead of having the perfect to-do list, it's really just about the moment and the now and just being a little bit present in the moment and actually just sort of enjoying the process of the current moment and like enjoying working on it in the moment. Just just be here right now and just just be here for this one thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. Anyway. So the other thing that this book has been presenting to me is this idea of we need to do things that aren't for a goal. Because this instrumentalization of everything, this idea that we need to, you can't just go for a run, you have to be like practicing for a 10K or every book you read has to be teaching you something that's getting you towards a goal where you're better tomorrow or something. That's taking us out of the present and putting us in the future and the future never comes. So then you just live in this stressed out state of waiting for how things are going to be better. And, and look, I've said this like a thousand times, but like I have like, I have lived my entire life always honestly, really, really honestly believing that I'm feeling like I'm not in control at all and that I'm not in control of my time and I don't feel good. And my whole life I've just felt like that's just how I feel today. Three weeks from now, I'm finally going to be in control of my time. Like that's an actual belief I've had for 30 years straight of just feeling like everything is spinning too fast. I can't do this. I'm not enjoying what I'm doing right now. Everything kind of sucks. I'm like really anxious. Everything kind of sucks. But I'm just, I, I've always felt like I'm right on the brink of turning a corner. And once I get around this corner, everything's going to be better. And I'll finally be, I'll finally get past the goalpost. And I'll finally feel a sense of completion and a sense of control of my time and a sense of calm. And then when you always, but, but it's like actually built in, like the forward lookingness of staring at the future and how, and focusing on a trillion things at the same time, it just has this built in thing of how you absolutely never get there because the only way to feel in control is to just let go of it all. And to realize that we can never be fully in control, but what you can have is you can just be here for this moment. And so a big thing that this book is presenting is just this, this idea of just like, Hey, maybe just do a couple of things that are not for an end goal that you're just doing for themselves. And it's not connected to anything and it's not building towards anything. And it's not about making you a better person tomorrow. It's just like, you're just doing it. It's like this teleological is a word that you bump into every couple of years. It's such a weird word. It's something, I think it just means having to do with goals. I remember in religion class, it was always something of like, you can look at a tree from a Christian perspective. And from a Christian perspective, a tree is about the seeds that, and that's the goal of the tree, but you can also look at it. This Anyway, in this book is like, there's telic and atelic um, tasks. A telic task is a, a task that is working towards a goal. And then atelic things are, are things that are not in any way working towards a goal. So I just like, was like, well, fuck it then. Let's just go into the forest and just be in the forest for a little bit and not learn anything and not make it about the learning and not make it about anything and just make it this like, let's just waste time. Because I think 
the fear of wasting time. Living life fearful of wasting time is making me terrified. It's making, putting me in a, in a permanent state of terror because every moment is wasted if you, if you think about it too much. So I bought this fucking tent on Amazon. It's like a hundred bucks and it's like custom fitted for my Tacoma model. So the truck bed, you, you flip down the lip of the bed in the truck and then you build the tent and strap it onto the top of the truck and you sleep in the bed of the truck, of the pickup truck. And then I bought an air mattress, same thing, custom made for the, um, wheel. What's the word? Wheel. Yeah. I don't know. A real man would know the word, but it's like, um, the truck bed is not completely rectangular. It has these indentations where the wheels are. So the air mattress is built around those indentations. Anyway, so I bought those two things and I brought up and I grabbed a couple of blankets and, and, um, and a pillow. And I, I just like, was like, I'll just drive 90 minutes. I'll drive east and then I'll turn north and I'll just drive towards Bowman Lake and maybe I'll get it, get to Bowman Lake. And maybe I won't, you know, and I'll just, I won't worry about it being perfect or the perfect trip or like something that's going to give me some enlightenment. I'm just going to, I'm just going to waste time and I'm just going to chill the fuck out for a little bit. And, um, and it was pretty good. I got started really late. Javi came over at four and I had to help him fucking move for two hours. So I didn't even get started on this little trip until like 6 PM. And, um, I was terrified of bears. Here's, here's what an idiot I am. It's like, I was all scared of like, you know, I'm so afraid all the time. I'm always afraid. I'm always doing stuff. I'm always in places. I'm always in different places. And wherever I'm at, I'm just so afraid of everything. So what I chose to be focused on being afraid of in this context here was like wildlife and stuff, falling off of a cliff, but being attacked by bears. Like you Google the shit and you read about which campground is open and stuff. And, and every, every one and all the websites and everything are all about like, and all the signage once you get out there is like, this is bear country, dude. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff about that. And, um, and they're like, yeah, just don't keep any smelly food. Don't keep any food around because the bears can smell it. And don't, don't keep it where you sleep. And then it's like, bro, my car smells like french fries. Excuse me, a little, little bang burp there. My car smells like french fries. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't even eat french fries. I eat a lot of fast food, but I only eat the burgers. I hit McDonald's. I just get an iced coffee, no sugar, and a Big Mac. And somehow my car smells like french fries. And it's like, bro, it doesn't matter if I take the Big Mac wrapper out. The car still smells like french fries. So the, the bear can smell me coming, dude. And the bear is going to come get me. So I go to the... So I go on Amazon and I'm I'm out here like Googling which was the best bear mace and I find the best one and I go on Amazon and Amazon won't ship it to California. And I'm like, fuck, bear mace is not legal in California. So I'm freaking out. So I go to the store to buy a big knife 
And then I ask him like, and I'm I'm out here looking for like mace, like um, you know, like the mace women buy to not get raped. And so I'm I'm thinking about getting a couple of those and spraying the bear in the face. And then I just offhandedly, while I'm standing in in the store in the fucking in the fucking sports goods store, I Google it and I'm like, I Google the sentence: Does regular mace work on bears? And then you get to every single hit, <laughs> every single, every single website hit is like. First of all, I was kind of happy about it because it's like regular mace is only like ten bucks, whereas the bear mace that, um, that Amazon wouldn't ship to me is like two for ninety bucks. So I'm standing here like, oh, I'm I'm getting a good deal here, like ten bucks for this girl mace, and then I Google it and it's like every single hit is like. No, rape mace does not work for bears and it's been tried many times and people who have tried it get severely injured because you're really just like agitating the bear in a way that doesn't uh, debilitate the bear at all. Like the bear, the bear, it's just a minor annoyance to the bear and a minor annoyance is a good way to get fucked up by a bear. Like minorly annoying the bear it's not what you want to be doing, you know? Either you, you want to be, like, playing dead or, like, not in, getting the bear to get bored with you. Or you want to fuck the bear up with some real fucking bear mace. So I, I'm standing there in the store with the, with the girl mace in my hand, Googling it. And then I just read some of those hits. And I just, without hoping that no one is looking, I just walk back to the shelf. And I just put the girl mace back. Let's hope no one's looking at me not buying this. Um, and then I go up there to buy a knife, knife and some binoculars. And I just ask the knife lady like, Hey, so you don't have any bear mace, huh? It's illegal in California. And she's like, no, no, we got some. And she sold me some for 50 bucks. So I'm like, fuck, this is going to be awesome. And I'm in my head, I'm going through all these like scenarios of how do I defend myself against the bear when I'm sleeping in the bed of my truck, I can attack it from above. And really, I'm terrified because it feels like if you're in a tent and you use the bear mace, you're going to saturate the air inside of the tent with enough mace that you're going to choke yourself out and fucking get really fucked up. And I do believe that to be true. The bear mace is probably terrifying. Like, it's probably brutally strong. It's very powerful and you're going to get yourself, you know? I'm sure you're going to get yourself. But so, yeah, I don't know. I got out there and it turned out that that wasn't the thing to be worried about. The thing I didn't understand is that it's actually cold. I just brought like this tiny little air blanket that I stole from an airplane, like a little in-flight blanket that I got from Aeroflot once. Oh, man. And that was all a blanket I had. And it was cold as fuck up in the mountains. I, I went to bed at 10 p.m. and then I woke up at 2 a.m. and it was too cold to fall back asleep. And and I, uh, dude, it was so cold. And I just had this like thin sheet. I just rolled myself up in a sheet and a tiny airplane blanket. <laughs> oh, God. Just laying there waiting four hours. I waited four hours for the sun to come up. When the sun came up, I was like, now I'm going to cook some eggs and just heat up by eating some hot food. And then I go to my little gas stove and I just realized I didn't have a lighter. And it's like, well, fuck this. 
So I just sat in the driver's seat of my car, started the engine, and, and just let my car heat up and ate a PBJ. Really tired. And then the sun came up, and then I was like, well, fuck it, I'm awake. So, look, I went for a two-hour hike at 6 a.m. You have to understand how weird this is to me, because I'm a computer guy. I only do things on the computer. I never thought I'd be able to drive a car. I thought I just couldn't do it. I thought I was too much of a scaredy, scaredy person. I had so many limiting beliefs about myself. I just, there were so many, the list of things, of sentences in my head that ended with, that started with being like, I'm just not the kind of person that can do X. Like the number of beliefs that I had that were in the format of that sentence, I'm just not the kind of person. I really viewed myself as this specific type of person that has like very limited skills, limited things I can do fairly well, and then many, many things I cannot even approach. Yeah. And then I'm just not the type of person. Ah, that makes me feel bad saying that. Makes me feel bad how I... Oh, God, that makes me feel bad. Just wasted time and... Oh, why can't I just be one of these people that's like... That has like a chill, smooth outlook on life. That says chill, smooth things. Oh, fuck, everything. Ah, I'm, there's a lot of anxiety in my heart right now. Anyway, that's fine. Anyway, yeah. I was at work and I was talking to Isaac and I was like, bro, I think I'm going to go camping but I don't know where. And he's like, you should go to Bowman Lake. Then I asked him all these questions about it. And he was like, yeah, it's like this. And it's like, yeah, there's definitely bears and it's beautiful. And, and I'm like, this and this. And, and he's like, yeah, bears, the bears, it helps that there's going to be other people there. And then at the end of the story, he's like, oh, by the way, I've never been there. And I was like, bro, I just asked you so many questions about it. And you answered with such confidence. And now you're telling me you've never been there. And then that's how it was. I was like, fuck it. I'll go to Bowman Lake because Isaac told me. And then I get back to work after that. And I check the manager log. And the same morning that I show up to work after being to Bowman Lake, Isaac got fired. And I'd envisioned the whole thing being like, Isaac, I went to Bowman Lake because you told me to. And that would make him really like feel like he exists in the world. And I really wanted him to feel like a real person. And I wanted him to feel better and like that his words matter. And that people listen to him. And then I show up to work and I have this like thing I want to say to him. And, and he just has been fired. So great. Okay, great. That's, that's awesome. That makes me sad. I fucking love Isaac. Can still be his friend though. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I drove like 25 minutes east on Highway 20, 30 minutes east, and then you turn north, and you hit all these, you hit the South Fork of the U, but you hit this little place called Emerald Pools, like all these things that 
beers and vodkas and stuff around here are named after that I've never... I didn't know these were real places. I thought Emerald Pools IPA was a fucking beer, and that's it. But apparently it's a lake. And South Fork, I yeah. I went to the South Fork of the Yuba, and I, I, I don't know. I know these places from the from the things you've named after them on my beverage list, on my libation menu. But um, the sun was coming down, and at 8 p.m., I'm like, after you take off from the highway, you drive like 20 minutes on this sort of small asphalt road, and then the tarmac ends, and it's a dirt road, and it's a crazy dirt road. Like... It is a rough dirt road that's got like huge holes in it and massive boulders and rocks just just sprinkled all over the road. And you drive for miles and miles and miles on this dirt road. And I, I don't, I have a spare tire, but I don't have a jack. That, so I can't actually change out. The, the jack doesn't really work for my truck. So I'm terrified of getting a flat tire because when you drive for like miles and miles and you don't see any other cars... If I got a flat tire there, it'd be day, it'd be days before anyone found me. Oh, so yeah, and it's a it's rough, you know. Like when you drive forty minutes on a dirt road, after a while, you you just like there's no map, there's no cell phone reception. Everything's just like, am I even am I getting closer? Like none of this is the map is just a big green space. I'm just a blue dot in a big green space. Because I downloaded, I was like, I'm going to be prudent. And I like downloaded the offline map, the Google map for the area. For fucking all of Northern California or some shit. So that whatever happens, I I have the GPS and I have the offline map so I know where I'm at. But then you get there and there's nothing on the map. And then I got pretty close to Bowman Lake and all the signs. There's like a sign that's like closed to public due to imminent fire hazard and i just pretended to not see the sign and i just kept going and then there's another one closed to public due to imminent fire threat and i just kept going and then after like a bunch of those signs i was like all right i be because i hadn't seen anyone for like 30 minutes for like miles and miles i was like I don't know. So I turned around and I, I was like, I'll just stop at one of the little lakes on the way. And I stopped at one of the little lakes and there were other people. And it's actually a very nice headspace to be in, to be happy to see other people. Like I remember one of the big things that everyone that's ever spent like a lot of time in China relates to is that eventually if you're a white person in China you you get into this fucking weird really perverted headspace where you want to go away from the center because the center is like really bullshit tourism and you want to get away from the tourism and you you want to find the real shit and so you travel away from the center of wherever you are and you get out there and you see weird shit and you don't see any other white people. And in your head, automatically, you're not in control of it, but it turns into this thing where in your head, automatically, other white people become a metric of how fake the shit is. 
So when you go like a whole day in like some weird little mountain town without seeing any white people, you're like, fuck, I finally found real China. And then if you wake up the next day and you're in the same little mountain town and then there's another white guy, immediately you feel like, oh my God, fuck. Oh, fuck, he ruined it for me. It's not real anymore. I thought I'd found the real China and then I discovered that there's another white person here, thus proving that this is the same fake-ass shit that I started with. And that's such a fucking stupid headspace for many reasons that are self-evident, like the, you know, I don't know. It's so universal though, bro. There are two t- two kinds of white people. There are white people that go on cruises and there are white people that are liable to get in that headspace. Those are the only two types of white people. They're the white people who don't give a fuck, who just want to get fucked up on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And then there are the white people that get pissed off when they see another white person in, in a tiny little village in Guilin. And there's no fucking over, overlap between those two groups. And there's no gray area in between. You're one of those two people. That's it. And then I'm out here terrified on a dirt road, terrified of getting a flat tire and being stuck in this like blazing heat with not enough water and no cell phone reception and nowhere to walk to. And I'm just like 50 miles from any other human beings and I might die. Thankfully, I had a full tank of gas, but, and then I'm in that space and I'm just driving lost in the Tahoe National Forest. Like, dude, when you drive for an hour without seeing other people, you're far away from any, from other, from civilization. Like, you're far from help. And then after an hour of not seeing any other people, I like, and, and and having to follow the signs, but the signs are actually saying something opposite to what my Google Maps is suggesting in the direction of my Google Maps. So I'm really feeling like lost because I'm getting like conflicting information from these different things that I'm trying to figure out how to get to a campground. And then when I get to a campground and I haven't seen anyone in an hour and I see like a little black car in the distance and I get up there and there's like three cars of people camping that feeling, the opposite of the China expat feeling, that feeling of being happy to see other people because safety in numbers and like, if I were to get in a serious medical situation here or like, you know, if I start a fire, if I'm about to get attacked by a bear, if I get a flat tire, whatever it is, there's other people. And I am happy that there's other people. Like, that's a much more pleasant headspace to be in. It's like a real neighborly headspace. Yeah. Reminds me of this other part of the the 4,000 Weeks book where they talk about time off and being in control of your time and then the impatience of being obsessed with being in control of your time. And then the idea of vacation and they, he, the author brings up this example of this one guy who's a, who is a financial advisor and he just works on his computer. So he lives on a cruise ship because he can do it from anywhere. So he just spends like 300 days a year on a cruise ship and 
he's like, yeah, I'm the happiest guy in the world. I'm completely in control of my time. I can do whatever I want. And then the author unpacks how the problem with that is that you're alone. And there's an incredible loneliness to being completely in control of your time. And the goal is actually something different than that. The goal is actually to be synchronized with other people's time. And then he brings up this massive example of Sweden and all this research we've done in Sweden of how one of the huge good things in Sweden is that everyone has two months of vacation at the same time. So it's not just that you get enough time to rest, but you get time to spend time with your friends. And like, there's so much patience that's required from you to just accept that you are on someone else's schedule. But the tribe is worth that. To have a tribe and to get to spend time with people because they are also off. Like all the research shows that... that um we take in Sweden we take way less antidepressants in, in for those two months when everyone has time off. And the interesting thing is that even unemployed people and retired people are just happier when everyone else is also on vacation. And it's just the metaphor and the societal pressure matters. And it's like that that old lesson of how it's really stressful and depressing to be unemployed, but once you turn 65 and you just change the label on it from being unemployed to being retired, even though you do the same thing, the societal pressure is now different, so now you're way less stressed and depressed about it because now it's just okay. And it's like related to that, of how even if you're unemployed, you're Average unemployed person is happier on a Saturday than a Tuesday because on the Tuesday, there's a guilt about being unemployed. But on a Saturday, everyone is just chilling. It's a Saturday. And it made me think about how I fucked everything up because I was just, I was born in Sweden and there was nothing, I wasn't, nothing bad ever happened to me. And then still, I had this incredible sense of, panic and just distraught I just I was so unhappy and I chose to run away from it all and then they bring up this concept of fika which is a famous Swedish concept internationally famous Swedish concept of it's a coffee break but it's a little bit specific and and it's like in an office you'll do it there's, there there will be a fika in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, usually just one in the morning where you, not one in the morning, but like one at like 1030 maybe, we have like a pastry and a cup of coffee and everyone just chills for like 20, 30 minutes. And, um, and it's just this thing where you're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you are in the middle of your deep work, just like, fuck it, just exist on someone else's time and be part of the tribe and go and spend time with them and just have the patience to be on someone else's schedule and just be there for it. And don't approach everything with this perfectionism and impatience of of saying like, no, I don't have time for that. And then I'm reading this and I'm like, dude, I ne- I've never, I'm, I'm fucking born and raised in Sweden. I lived there for my first 19 years. I went back here and there a little bit to do a semester or two. 
in school to get a couple of degrees, to get a couple of college degrees, but I've never fucking had a job in Sweden and I n- I've never experienced it. So I'm all like an ambassador for Sweden out here and people ask me about it. And I'm like describing what it is, but I'm such a faker because I've never actually experienced it and I have no idea what it is. And I'm reading this in the book, the author describes going to Sweden and having a micro, having a tiny bit of experience with it because he visited an office and he just like had coffee with the people in the morning twice. And it seems like such a fakey way to try to, or it seems like such an insufficient way to understand something so sublime. And like, like if you're describing a whole life modality, it seems like to just go and have coffee with them in the office two times doesn't seem like you really understand the entire society-wide structure of what it means and what it would feel like to live in that society. And I'm out here like feeling so critical of him because it's like that's such an imperfect way to unpack what that means. But then I look at myself and I realize, well, I've experienced it fucking zero times. Or no, that's not even true. Not zero times. Because in Sweden, when you're in like sixth grade, there's this concept of it's almost like an internship idea where each semester of school you're supposed to go to a workplace and just ask them if you can intern for free for just a couple of days. And it's just about showing you, getting, giving you like a tiny bit of experience of what the real world is like. Such a healthy idea, obviously. Like you don't want to sequester students away from real life too much. So, so I went to like the grocery store next door to the school and was like, Hey, can I, can I just be here for a week for free and you guys can order me around? And they were like, yeah, whatever. And everyone in there was like, like insane. Like I, I, I talked to this one guy who smelled so much like cologne and he had the craziest looking crooked. He's like a 26 year old with like dyed black hair and a crazy looking bowl cut it was maybe one of the worst haircuts i've ever seen and he looked at me and he was like yeah so i cut my own hair and like if i didn't tell you that you wouldn't know and it's like dude like i saved so much money and like no one fucking knows that i cut my hair like my hair looks exactly like other people's hair and i'm looking at him and i'm in sixth grade and i'm just like okay this is fucked up Fuck, this is fucked up. And then they're like, okay, now we're going to fake you. And I just sit there. I'm just a sixth grader amongst all these, like, the people who work in a grocery store in the little town where they grew up. And I just knew that this is, this, this is not what I want. And somewhere in there, I made the mistake of thinking that that's it. Like, if you stay in your small town, then that's it. But the truth is that you can, like, you can go to med school, bro. Like, you can challenge yourself and you can be around high-functioning, good people. And you don't have to move to China. Like, the solution is not to move to China, bro. And I made so many mistakes. And... 
the good way of living life is to have a real job that's like interesting and cerebral and intellectually challenging around healthy other people and then to have two months off every summer and to have everyone else have two months off and I grew up where that's what people do and I ran away from it and I've never experienced it and right now in Sweden all on all my bros they're in the middle of a two-month vacation with everyone else where they just Like, and then I'm reading this book and he really unpacks what that means because there's a difference between taking two months off on your own time or all of society deciding to take two months off. Because when you just take two months off on your own time, you're sabotaging your career. Your inbox is going crazy. There's a thousand reasons for why it sucks. But when all of society does it together, it's okay. And you get to a deeper sense of just being able to just live life. And somehow I get, when I think about how I just decided to not be part of that, like the levels of self-sabotage that I have engaged in in my life, oh. And then instead I work in a restaurant where I work five nights a week and I have Tuesday, Wednesday off. And I, it's just, and I'm in a foreign country where I don't have any friends. Like the layers of loneliness that I have decided to expose myself to and like the barriers to getting away from, like to getting into a space where I would like have people that I could spend time with. It's inconceivable. Like the, the solution here is, I mean, Jesus, I'm so lonely and it's because of, it's a prison of my own design. That's for sure. Should have just stayed in Sweden. Then there's this other part of the book where he talks about how um, he interviews this one academic, this professor in art history who teaches this intro to people who are going to get a whole degree in art history. And the first task or like an early task that she gives students is this thing where she says you have to go to um, the Museum of Art connected to the school in New York or something and you have to go and you have to pick one painting and you have to sit in front of that painting and just w look at that one painting for three hours and there's so much to that exercise and it made me think of how when I was 17 I was in high school and I was dating this girl and we graduated from high school and when we graduated she her uncle owned an apartment like a tiny tiny little apartment in Paris and he was like you can live in that apartment if you want to and she moved to Paris and got a job as a waitress at a cafe and just lived in this apartment. And I would go and visit her. And I went there and I went to the Louvre, which is the biggest uh, art museum maybe in the world or whatever. And I got the big floor plan map. It's a big rollout unpackable thing where you see every floor every room on every floor laid out on this huge foldable piece of paper and I took it and I 
and I was like, I'm going, I'm going to look at every piece of art in this entire thing. There's like thousands of pieces of art. And I was like, I'm going to look at every single one. So I marked it off with a pen. Like I would go to a room and I would look at every piece of art in that room and then we mark it off with a pen. And then I would go around and it took more than one trip. It took like days and days and days to look at it all. And I walked through the whole thing and looked at every single piece. And then I got to it and I, I felt the sense of completion. And I felt like I could say that I was really unimpressed with it. Like I got to a space, I got to a point where I felt like I had the right to say that it wasn't impressive, that it was all boring. That maybe David by Michelangelo or fucking Leonardo da Vinci or whatever, like maybe there was a sculpture or two that was cool. Like maybe the Mona Lisa was a 7 out of 10 and maybe David was like a 6 out of 10, but everything else sucked. And then I compare that to this thing of being tasked by your art history teacher to look at one painting for three hours. And I realized that I was treating the Louvre as if it was Instagram, as if it's this thing where we, and this is pre-Instagram, you know, this is 2004, which is why I feel like there's this we blame social media, but it's really like, this is what we wanted. They gave us every single type of product, but the product that we chose was Instagram and Facebook. Like we wanted this. We forced them to create this product for us of poisoning ourselves with having absolutely no attention span and expecting everything to just jump out at us and giving the world about less than one second to impress us until we have to just be like, next, 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 next. And then you get to a meme and you're like, chuckle to yourself. And next, 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 next. And you give everything about exactly the same 0.8 seconds. And if you don't chortle in the first 0.58 seconds, then it's like, well, then it must be nothing, you know? If the Mona Lisa doesn't make me fucking just chortle right away, then it must be shit. So I'm out here Instagram fucking swiping my way through the Louvre in 2003 or two. And, and then there's this exercise of if you look at one painting for three hours, first of all, there's the pain of it, of just that wanting of, because it's like a meditation exercise where you, the whole time you're like, I don't want to do this. I, I picked the wrong one. I shouldn't have. I'm bored. This is boring. And then all the people that do the exercise describe the stuff of like, well, 45 minutes into looking at one painting is when I started discovering this thing. And then an hour and a half in, I discovered this other thing. And if you take big enough pieces of genius and you look at them closely enough, they, they unpack and you get to this sublime stuff. I don't know, the author of 4,000 Weeks, he picked this, he did it for himself and he picked this painting called like The Cotton Merchants and it's like three dudes looking at some cotton and 10 minutes in he's like, Jesus, I've made a huge mistake. This is the most boring painting ever. None of this matters. It's just three dudes in a store looking at some shit. And then like an hour and a half in he like notices that one of the guys is black 
like took him that because it was so vaguely done that they, he, he realizes that he's black and that there's this whole angle to it of the cotton trade and race and like and that doesn't open up until like hour two yeah and like i spent so many days at the louvre and i have nothing to say about it the only thing i have to say about it is that i that it gave me a sense of giving me the right to say that the louvre sucks which is incorrect insofar as anything matters and insofar as there is anything that isn't it that's wrong oh god it makes me feel bad i do feel this big sense of guilt in terms of i feel like i was i grew up with the internet and i feel like i am me and the people that are like me are why the internet sucks and why the world sucks now because it wasn't everyone. Not everyone was on the internet in 1997 and 1999 and 2001. Like not everyone spent like many, many, many hours on the internet in the beginning. But I was like an early adopter and I was on 4chan a lot in the first six months of 4chan existing. And it was like an extremist left-wing thing and then there was a switch and it became an alt-right thing. And whatever. But it's like every single toxic thing that ended up ruining society. Like I was part of that user base that pulled it in the most fucking. I don't know. It's ridiculous for me to feel guilty about it. But it's like if if our. I just cannot help but imagine that if our generation had just. Been, if the early internet had been better at presenting content where we're taught what the pro, like how we are, how we have the totally wrong attitude here of this contrarian attitude that everything was about, this attitude of discarding everything, if there had just been someone mature. If there had just been a good communicator who was mature and who could have told us that we're fucking everything up. I don't know. Let's drink another water. So, Black Cherry. This one is from Crystal Lake. Sparkling spring water, unsweetened black cherry, 100% natural flavor. Zero sugars, zero calorie. Non-GMO. Ah, yeah, that's why I hate cherry. That's disgusting. That's a 2 out of 10. You know what I think about fucking multiple times a week? I told the story when it happened. I think about it multiple times a week. This one time, it was in winter, dead of winter. This lady came into Holbrook and she asked if we had bread and we don't have bread. And she was like, you don't have bread? And I was like, yeah, we don't serve bread. Like chips and guac, tortillas is the bread of the Holbrook. And then I, and she's like, I'm so starving. Like I'm in such a bad mood. Like, like she did... She said something about being starving. She didn't have enough self-insight to say, I'm so starving, that's why I'm in a bad mood, because that's almost apologizing. But she was extremely rude and moody and annoying. And then um, they were asking these questions about the food, and I was trying to answer, and, and she kept being like, but you don't have any fucking bread? And I kept being like, yes. I'm sorry, we do not serve bread. 
as if every restaurant in the world is the same and every restaurant should serve bread. It's like, shut the fuck up. I mean, I love bread, but I also lived 10 years in China and I know that all Chinese people hate bread. I remember this one time when I first moved away from China, I remember having a conversation with Dave, Dave who I, David Phillips, who I used to live with in China for a long time. And I, for some reason, we were talking about his wife. I think they weren't married yet, Jesse. And he was like, we were talking about food and stuff. And he was like, we were talking about burgers and he was like, yeah, Jesse doesn't like burgers. And in a million years, you'll never guess why. And I immediately respond, she doesn't like burgers because she doesn't like bread, right? She doesn't like the bun, but she'll eat it without the bun. And he's like, yep, that's it. And we just had this moment of realizing that it is the weirdest thing, but it's also universal and we both know about it. Chinese people fucking hate bread. So it's like, hey, lady at the Holbrook asking me for bread. Like, not everyone serves bread and not everyone is the same. And maybe you should shut the fuck up. And then what, what happened is that she ordered the sopa de albondigas, this Mexican soup that's spicy. And it says on the menu that it's a spicy broth base. And, and as she is ordering it, when someone ordered that soup, every single time, because it was quite spicy, every single time I would verbal that to them. I would say it. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a wonderful soup. It's, it's spicy. As long as you're good with spicy food, it's, I very much recommend it. That, I would say some version of that every time someone ordered it. So I would always give them the warning because, because white people aren't great with spicy and everyone is white at the Holbrook. Okay? That didn't come out right, but you feel me. Um, whitest county in California... Nevada County. Um, so she orders the soup and I'm trying to tell her that it's spicy. And every time I'm trying to tell her that it's spicy, she interrupts me to be like, so you don't, like, I can't, she, she, this is what she said. She said, I can't believe you don't have any bread. That's what she kept interrupting me to say as I'm trying to say things to her. And I'm like, you know, just shrugging over here like, I'm sorry, I don't have any bread. And then I deliver the soup to her. And then five minutes later, I check in, or like two minutes later, I'm checking in, and she goes, this soup is so spicy, it's ruining my entire night. Like, I can't taste anything, I can't feel, like, everything, like, this is ruining my entire experience, how spicy the soup is. And then she goes, you should tell everyone who orders this soup that it's very spicy. That's what she told me. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, I do. I should, shouldn't I? And I do. Everyone who orders the soup, I tell them that it's spicy. Because it says there on the menu, but I know it's hard to really absorb all the text on the menu quickly, you know? I don't expect everyone to totally know all the words and absorb everything. So I'm, I'm here, you know? I'll say it to you. I'll say it to your face that it's spicy. And I do that every time. And I tried to tell this lady three times. And I, in my head, I just wanted... Like multiple, ever since that happened multiple times a week, I think about it and I'm just like, I just, she made me so mad. <laughs> and in my head, I just wanted to be like, yeah, I know. I tried to tell you three times. And you interrupted me to say, I can't believe you don't have any bread. 
And I just wanted to be like, I fantasize about it multiple times a week of what I should and could have said to her. And I wanted to be like, I've worked in restaurants for five years and I've literally never said this before, but I think you have to leave and we're not going to serve you anymore. I'm not charging you for any of this, but, but you're not welcome back here. You know, we reserve the right to deny service to anyone, you know? I just wanted to, for the first time, I wanted to invoke that and just be like, you have to leave. Just go. You're not welcome here. You're being very rude. I tried to tell you three times that the soup is spicy and you rudely interrupted me and did not let me speak. And then now you're mad that I didn't tell you the thing I was trying to tell you. You have to leave. Just get up. Just get just up and just take everything from the table. Just be like, leave. You have to leave right now or I'm calling the police. <laughs> that's what I wanted to do in my head I get I think about this multiple times a week and I sit in my car and I'm sitting at a red light and I'm just thinking about that lady and I'm like yeah I'm, and I just call the bus driver to be like grab all this stuff take it bring it to the dish pit throw take their drinks th- pour them out right now no you're not allowed to finish your drink you have to leave right now or ma'am ma'am you have to leave right now or I'm calling ma'am you're being belligerent ma'am you have to leave right now or I am calling the police and then just like Signal over to the front desk of the hotel. Sarah, Sarah, call the police. Sarah, call the police. Tell them that there's a lady who's refusing to leave. We've asked her to leave. Sarah, Sarah, call the police right now. Yes, I'm not kidding. <laughs> ma'am, the police is... Ma'am, you, ma'am, you have about two minutes to leave before the police is going to be here. Yes, I'm not charging you for any of this. Just get... Just get, like, not use any curse words, no curse words, and just treat. I'm interested in this idea of what what happens if you, it's like what the cops do to black people. Like, what happens if you treat someone as if they're being crazy when they're not being crazy? Because in, if you do that hard enough, whatever they say can then be like, you're threatening me. You're threat. No, sir, you're yelling. Sir? Stop resisting arrest. Stop resisting. And then it's just like a black guy face down. And it's like, I'm not resisting, sir. Tase him. Tase him. And it's like, don't tase me, bro. You know, because like there is something fucked up there where you can. If you act like someone is crazy, there's nothing they can say to argue with that. Like there's no arguing. If someone says you're crazy, there's no arguing. Because crazy people argue. I have to be at work in 32 minutes and I have not showered. Sunny Select, Black Cherry. Ooh, that's somehow worse than the last one. That's a one out of 10. So I went camping and I go there and I find a spot and I build my tent and, and I eat a sandwich. And then I just sort of like, it was next to this dam and, 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 part of the edge of this of the lake of the water is just like a cement ridge that's like all smooth and warm from being in the sun in 100 degree heat all day so at night when it was kind of cool i just like laid down on this warm cement and the stars really came out because we were fucking an hour away from anything and um and i just lay there for a long time and I was like, I'm going to read here. And then I didn't read and I just laid there. And I was trying to make this like concerted effort to waste time. 
to just feel what it feels like to waste time and to have time pass and to just be there and to not feel like that matters. And then I was actually going to record a podcast out there. But I just got kind of tired and I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to not do anything useful. So so disgusted with myself for implying that recording a podcast can be under the umbrella of things to that can be considered useful just like just mercy killing just shoot me just put a gun to the back of my head and just blow my brains out and just like end it all because i can't do this anymore but anyway so i just laid there on the warm cement on the edge of the water and looked at the shit and then i made my little bed and and i and i fell asleep and it was really fucking nice and then i woke up at 2 a.m and it was cold as fuck and i only had a little airplane blanket and also it was bright as fuck in my tent from the direction of where the closest other person was like there was a car parked like you know 40 meters off to the side uh the next party and they were crazy looking like they had two vehicles and two massive tents and these huge solar panels and all these big inflatable fucking uh toys that you chill on in the pool and just like kayaks and just a bunch of crazy shit like they looked like they had enough stuff for about 40 people but there was two of them there two old people and so i wake up at 2 a.m and there's like this it's like they have a floodlight directed at my tent and it's bright as fuck in my tent and i can't sleep because it's too fucking bright and I have to pee, and it's ice cold. So I'm like, I guess I'm getting out of this tent. Like, I guess there's no way around this. I cannot seem to fall back asleep because I have to pee too bad, and it's too cold. But so I get out of it, and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm, I'm like, should I? Can I go ask him to turn the light off, or like, not have this massive floodlight? At least have it not directed straight at my tent. Like, can we work? Can you just turn it around? And so I get out of my tent. And I squint towards this like bright light that's directed directly at me. And I squint and I put my glasses on it and I my eyes adjust and I realize it's the moon. It's like, okay, bro. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's like, bro. Joe Kim spends 35 years of his life in front of a computer and gets up off of the computer for once and ends up in the forest and... And it's super confused about this, like, floodlight in the middle of the night that's making it hard to sleep, and it's the moon. You know, it's the moon. You're in the middle of nowhere, and it's the moon. It's like, bro, can we... Can you stop being such, like, a stereotype of a fucking computer nerd? Like, oh, God. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) So I didn't walk over there and ask him to turn the moon off. I just pissed. And I just pissed all over the place because I was like, it's the forest. I guess we can just piss right here. And then the germophobia kept kept me awake because I was like, I pissed without washing my hands. And then, you know, it was cold as fuck and I just waited four hours for the sun to come up. <laughs> and then I went for a walk and it was actually just really nice and I'm clutching my bear mace and I'm terrified and the whole experience was suffused with fear and terror but it was still all right and I climbed a little bit of a mountain and I sat on top of it and I just looked down and 
And I was like, this is a little bit like Zelda, Breath of the Wild, but worse. You know, there's a weird thing in Breath of the Wild where there's a thousand types of enemies and monsters and stuff, but for some reason the bears are like almost impossible to kill. Like the bears, I got to Google this after a record. Like how many hit points do the bears have? Because like even late game when I have every single weapon, I can roll up on any huge giant monster and just hit him three times and he's dead. But the bears, I'll hit him 10 times and he's still going. And I'm like, why is the bear impossible to kill? Because the bear is so small and just part of like, I don't know. It's really a, it's really a lesson from that where you, when you walk around in the forest, you, the, the bear is kind of like, yeah. The image of the bear is like, you're not fucking with that bear. There's no way to defeat the bear. You might make him wander off. <clears throat> but yeah, I only slept like three hours in the fucking truck tent and then I drove home and tried to take a nap, took a nap for the first time in 10, 10 years and dude, I'm, I I mean, I, I don't know, like you sleep for an hour in the middle of the day and turns the day into two days, but two weird shitty days and it's like disorienting, bro. And then I go to work and it's like, oh, I had a million awkward conversations with people, tried to fall asleep early, came home, accidentally put on the January 6th hearing the eighth day. And was like trying to Google highlights, but it had just finished airings and no one had edited together highlights yet. So I was just like, I'll skip around and just watch a little bit. Ended up watching two hours straight because it wasn't that good, but it's just like watching all these like terrified Republicans sort of like shrug their shoulders and being like, yeah, it's all fucked. And then it's so hard at this point to not watch it through the lens of like, this is old news. And the country is actually fucked. Like the current administration is actually not doing a good job because the the larger problem is that the American political system can't do anything. Like it cannot address any questions like, you know, there's the environment. It doesn't matter who's president. We're not doing anything about the environment. There's a housing crisis. We're not building any houses. We're not building anything and rents and, and housing prices are skyrocketing and there's no solution to that. And and it's like not, doesn't matter who's president, the political system cannot address any of these issues or doing anything about it. I mean, I've been getting really, I've been starting thinking about it in, in through this other lens now. I, the housing crisis really um, fascinates me of how you go anywhere even remotely close to where you want to be and renting a small room, it's going to be $2,000 a month. And it's really, I'm starting to view it through the lens of the business where I work, where we cannot seem to hire experienced, like we can't hire people like me. People that are like, you know, maybe in you're in your 30s or your early 30s or late 20s and you have done it for a few years and you're like, quite experienced and you're like just a little bit of a normal person and you could contribute a little bit of that skill set it's like very hard to find 
people that are there and we can only find 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds and stuff. And it's because of the housing crisis. Like hiring is impossible because of the housing crisis. It's because I can't tell my friends in Seattle, hey, move down here and I'll hire you and it'll be tits and we'll fucking work together. We'll be coworkers. You'll get paid. It'll all be good. I can't tell them to come down here because they wouldn't have anywhere to live because there's nowhere to live here. Because what, you're going to spend, you're going to buy a house for 600 grand? Like, no, that doesn't work. Because I'm offering you a job where you're going to chill and make 65 grand a year. Anyway. Okay, but so let me just wrap up this other thought that I, that I had here that I was working on. I think something that's coming together in my mind as a solution to my problem and I don't know if this works for anyone else, but it's like there's some sort of power to realizing or learning how to view every moment as the same moment and all people as the same person. Every moment, including now, and all people, including yourself, to viewing it all as the same. Like there's this AA concept that I keep coming back to a right sizing. I've talked, I mean, I talk about this so often because it's so much of my problem that I obsessively compare myself to other people and view myself as this loser who can't do, who's just absolutely at the very bottom of everything and who did everything wrong. Or I get into this weird narcissistic headspace of thinking of myself as this just some sort of genius or something, you know, just more important than more than. And I, there's a counterintuitive lesson there or something that I couldn't figure out myself that I needed AA to teach me, which is right sizing, which is the, I, the understanding that both of those, th- both of those perspectives are the same thing somehow. It is the same because you, as soon as one of them falls apart, you, immediately move to the polar opposite. As soon as your idea of how you're a genius falls apart, you don't just turn into a normal person, you turn into a complete loser. And as soon as you're this complete loser, and as soon as something good happens to you and you start believing in yourself for just a moment, you're, you have this incredible inflated sense of ego. And it's all, it's all, it's one thing. And the solution is this AA concept of just realizing that we're all just people and you're just kind of one of us. And you deserve all the other types of just normal level of respect that other people deserve. And then in this book, there's a similar thing of how very, like for a very long time, all my creative work, like trying to write a novel for just years of, of drinking and not really doing it and trying to do it. So much of it was, I could sort of like have little ideas and write down little ideas. But when it came to like the actual work of being structured and sitting down and like stringing things together and having a bigger idea, things that needed an actual schedule, things that needed me to actually like put in effort in the daytime, in a structured way, there was such a mental block for me to sit down. And it was because of I had the same problematic 
view of it, but with moments where I was like, this moment is shit. And I'm in a, I'm in a state of mind right now that sucks that, so I can't approach this. So this is not the time. And everything sucks and it's, it's going to be good in the future. And then you get it. And then the very rare moments when you do get to the work, you get into a flow state and you believe in it so much that you have to keep going until you burn out completely. And then you, because you get so burnt out on it, you can't go back to it again. But just realizing that every moment is the same. Well, one of the big things is that I really like the, the, the book talks about 50 minutes. Like when you're doing writing, maybe 50 minutes a day is good. And then when you hit 50 minutes, even if you're on a good roll, just stop. Because the exact same level of good moment is going to show up tomorrow if we just start believing that every moment is kind of the same. And we just have the we just it's just consistency and it's just the in-betweenness. We have to apply the concept of right-sizing to moments. That there's nothing special about this moment or this flow state or this role that we're on right now. It's just, there's just now. And it's fine. And it's good enough, you know? You're just another person and you're good enough. And this moment is just like a moment and it's a good enough moment. And, um, yeah. It's perfectionism and it's, it's impatience and it's like this corruption, corrupting black and white thinking all rolled into one thing when you, yeah. The block, I mean, the block is really, the block of not even being able to approach it because you, do, you think this moment is not the moment. Procrastination, you know, procrastination for me in the past so much of it was just years and years of, of feeling like this is not the moment. This moment sucks. And you just wait for the exact right amount of sleep and the exact right amount of caffeine, and the exact right amount of THC in your blood and just like inspiration and everything needs to be perfect. Otherwise you can't do it. And it's like, yeah, it's just so debilitating. Anyway, well, what else? What was I thinking about? All right, I have to be at work in 21 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone.